Hello and welcome to today's edition of Chapter by Chapter for Dune. I am your host, Will Cowan. With me is my good friend and co-host, Steve. Hello. Steve? Will? We're chugging along here. We're we're at chapter we're at chapter four. And this chapter is interesting. I think I said it in the last episode or this episode before. You know what? It blurs together. When we're doing a daily podcast, all the episodes just blur together in my head, and I don't know what I've said already or what I'm just gonna keep repeating over and over again. We're almost certain to be to repeat ourselves uh, numerous oh, times, hundred percent, as we already have. But, you know, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, but today we're getting to meet some more Obi Wan mentor types. Uh, but I think you said before <laughs> we started yes, recording, I have like, titled this chapter "The Meeting of the Dads." Meeting of the dads. I love it. So yeah, and. I know I probably said in a previous chapter, like, Jessica is kind of like a mentor, but these two characters that we're going to be meeting in this chapter are also huge mentors for Paul. And they both have, like, a very different relationship with Paul and uh, very different personalities, and it kind of shows in their kind of job description as well. So the two characters that we're meeting today are Thufir Hawat, the master. hold 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 on, hold on. Before we get in, we gotta read the Princess Irulan. Ah, I keep forgetting that. I think it's my turn this time. It is. My room is dark, so I can barely read it right now. Light a candle like a normal person. (laughs) You have read that Muad'Dib had no playmates his own age on Caladan. The dangers were too great. But Muad'Dib did have wonderful companion teachers. There was Gurney Halleck the troubadour warrior. You will sing some of Gurney's songs as you read along in this book. There was Thufir Hawat, the old Mentat master of assassins who struck fear even in the heart of the Padishah Emperor. There was Duncan Idaho, the sword master of the Ginaz, Dr. Wellington, a name black in treachery but bright in knowledge, the Lady Jessica, who guided her son in the Bene Gesserit way, and, of course, the Duke Leto, whose qualities as a father have long been overlooked. From A Child's History of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. A Child's History of Muad'Dib. How many books do you think Princess Irulan has written just on Muad'Dib alone? I think a lot. I think a whole lot. And this one this one is called A Child's History of Muad'Dib. Not Muad'Dib's yeah. childhood history. Or child history. Yeah, a child's this history. This is almost the history a... of Muad'Dib from the perspective of a child. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a child retelling it i think uh if if that was supposed to be that a child writing that section that child is extremely gifted <laughs> well they've got the spice probably you know they're in space oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You know? i mean like paul is only supposed to be like 15 years old in, in this and he's like as far as i'm concerned he's wicked smart he's wicked smart he's but they're all wicked smart is he yeah He's, he, to me, he exemplifies, like, a, a wisdom beyond his age. See, I don't you know, know if I got that from him. He seems kind of like an arrogant dick. I think arrogance is a part of it, but I think it's almost, I, I would, I would, I would hesitate to say arrogance and replace that word with confidence and a questioning, uh, an ability to question things that he doesn't necessarily agree with or, an, or are aligned with. Like, 
what we saw with the uh, interactions between him and uh, Gaius Helamahayim, he he questions her. He's like, "What are you doing? Like, what is this?" He does what he's t- eventually he's like, he does what he what he's told. This is all crazy. He's a cataract. What do you even mean? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's what that's what I mean. Like he's at that age at 15, like what were you questioning at 15? The government. I was questioning shit. Society. <laughs> my mental stability. School. All yeah. the constructs, the, you know, all, all of it. Yeah, I grew up in a very uh white bread, everything was happy childhood and I did, I just went on. My life was like the the uh the song "You Steal My Sunshine" when I, as a child. <laughs> Dude, this is a nightmare. <laughs> so yeah, that was the intro. So let's get into this chapter. We meet through Fear Howat. He comes into the room, and the first thing that he notices is that Paul's back is to the door, and he starts giving it to him. I mean, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Did we? I don't know if we read the same chapter actually. Oh. <laughs> I'm so part. sorry, everybody. Ho-ho. No, he starts. Uh, uh, he starts giving him shit about his uh, his back to the door, uh, specifically because like you don't know who's going to be coming into the into the room. If you're just going to be telling from footsteps who's going to be coming into the room, that's a huge barometer of or a huge range, a giant range of different people that could be coming in there, and it could one could be an enemy. No, you can't leave it. You can't. Leave your guard down for a second. Not for a second. Not for a second. Not in the Atreides family. And that, they really stress that throughout all of these chapters that we've read so far. Like, there's kind of this sense of danger all the time. Even though Thufir Howitt says, like, you're probably safe. I think he even says something in the book where he's like, you're probably safe, but just in case. Well, they're setting them, they're training them for, for, for Dune, for Arrakis, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're like, right. Really, and like, also, that's, maybe they're not saying that out, like up front, even though I guess they are. But that that's that's what's going on here. That's what the real training's for. Worms. Yeah, and also I be- I believe uh, his his uh, dukedom is that the right is that the right word to say dukedom? Dukedom. Dukedom. <laughs> But they're training him for to become. It doesn't Duke. sound like he's like uh, the number one ruler. It sounds like he's maybe the number two. <laughs> number two. You know, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I know what you mean. Um, but t- for that position of power, and I think the having a very analytical brain and a very cautious <clears throat> outlook on life is very important for not just being on Dune, but but just being a leader in this universe. Because yeah, it doesn't like seem his, like. His... Because he's also like a politician, essentially, right? Yeah, the Duke. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. they're politicians. They are leaders of their family. They're rulers of planets, warlords. Um, yeah, kind of warlords, war masters. Uh, when it comes to war, they're, they're they're the whole kit and caboodle, man. That resume is big. Oh yeah, it's a big resume. Can't keep that on one page, <laughs> you know. But that's why you got to cut stuff. You got you got to you got to make cuts, you know. Nobody cares about that jugal juice that you worked at. Yeah, when you were fifteen. Yeah, I I would say keep the three most relevant jobs on your resume for the job you're applying for. 
the three most relevant. And here's what I'm going to say, and this is a pro tip, is just maybe like a... If you're like a cool guy, if you do like if you like skateboard, put a picture of you skateboarding on the side of your resume. It'll help you get a job. <laughs> they will. I've done it for those <laughs> snowboarding. For those works. who uh, who don't know, I believe that actually happened to us once when we were working together. Uh, yep. And you and I just looked at each other and we were like, "Wow, amazing." He had that kid. He had a whole series of pictures attached to his resume. I feel yeah, it, you know. Like a, it was like a photo book. Yeah, there was a lot. Some of them were gra- of graffiti that he had done. <laughs> and skateboard tricks. He seemed like a cool guy. <laughs> we hired him on the spot. <laughs> no, I didn't, we didn't hire him. I don't know what the hell happened. No, that guy did not get a job. I don't know what happened. <laughs> he probably, he, I don't know. So, aside from applying for... Uh, being that leader of your household in, in the Dune universe. There's a lot of things that in this chapter that Paul asks questions about. And uh, and what, what he asks questions about is actually a really cool thing that you don't see in a lot of sci-fi novels is um, the weather on the planet. He's, ta- he's talking about the Coriolis storms that are that, that happens on Arrakis. And Arrakis has crazy storms. What does I Coriolis believe the, mean? I think it's like, uh, I'm not even going to pretend that I know what it means, but I'm going to take a shot in the dark. Shot in the dark. Hopefully somebody out there can correct me. I have a computer right next to me. I can look this up, but don't I'm not going to do it. Do, don't use that. Um, I think it has to do something. It's like a hurricane. Coriolis sounds like a circle to me. Like That sounds like a very... like Sounds like, like an eye. It like sounds like an eye. Like it's a, Yeah. You know, yeah, eye of the sandstorm. Eye of the sandstorm. <laughs> and uh, Paul is like, he's asking about it. Like, is it as bad as they say? And Thufir is like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. It is real bad. The storms. Oh, uh, what do you mean? 700- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah the winds blow. At a rate of 700 kilometers an hour. It's so fast that Thufir says, I think he's putting a little bit of a poetic swing into it. I don't think it's actually true, but uh, he says that it will. I, I'm, pro- I'm going to get the skin off work, of your face. Rip the skin off your face and whittle your bones down to splinters. Like it's yeah. it's that bad. Which seems like you could utilize that for, you know, whittling things down, breaking things down. Leave it out. Yeah. You know. Look, all right. If you got like a large tree, you know? Yep. Or maybe a worm carcass. Or a worm carcass full of bones. Yeah. Or like teeth. You yeah. know? Leave that outside. Wait for a Coriolis, Coriolis storm. Cor- Cor- Corleone. Whatever. <laughs> Don Corleone. And after the storm, you come back out, you got a bunch of toothpicks. Perfect. I mean, hey, and then you know that you know you you know you got business, self-made. You got you're <laughs> self-employed, and uh, you know you go from there. You build up an empire on Dune. You turn Dune into the uh, what is it? Toothpicks? The toothpick land. Toothpick empire yeah. or something. I don't know. <laughs> toothpick empire. <laughs> <laughs> Those storms. Get that spice out of there. Get that spice out of there. We don't need that anymore, guys. I know what we're doing. Toothpicks. Do you see the storms we get? Now think with me here. 
Yeah, these storms ain't no joke. <clears throat> ain't no joke. Um, another thing that they talk about in uh, this chapter, I think it's immediately after the storms, is why don't doesn't the planet have weather control? And it's a very interesting thing to talk about in in, in this book. Planets can purchase satellites that can control the weather. Not every planet. It's a very expensive system. And Thufir Howitt... So only like rich ones? Only really, really rich ones. Um, I think Thufir Howitt actually mentions like, we could buy it, buy the uh, weather control satellites from the guild. I think they're all guild controlled. But they're just way too expensive and we can't do it. So we're just going to have to live with the storms. So that just adds another layer of uh, danger to Dune. Now, they get into the ne- their next conversation. They start talking about their uh, Dune's relationship with water. And I think the point that Thufir wanted to get to Paul is just how sparse water is. And that even though he won't be wanting for it, I think that's the quote he uses, even though you won't be wanting for it, um, it's still, te- still going to be an oppressive force um, outside of the palace walls. Like out, if you're anywhere in Dune, um, water is going to be concerned. And they and he actually talks about a little bit. Yeah, saying like because Paul, because Paul's royalty, like they're going to be loaded up on water. But everyone else, it's like um, it's like in Tank Girl. Yep, water and power. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, people, ice tea. Or even like uh, Mad Max. Yep. I mean, you could use that too. I think Tank Girl is more relevant, but I don't know. That's up yeah, to our yeah. listeners. <laughs> really? I don't know. Did you know they're making another Tank Girl movie? I did not. Uh, those are big shoes to step into. Big Lori Petty shoes. Another thing that Thufir Howitt mentions is um, the are, are the still suits. The still suits are what Fremen wear to kind of recycle the body's water and moisture and Okay, so hold on. Reuse so it. Fremen being the, the native people of Dune. Correct. And they yes. wear these suits, recycle suits, to drink up their pee. <laughs> and their poop. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But not even just that. I mean, you know what? I'm not I'm not gonna even touch it because there's a whole chapter about still suits that we're going to get into and it's awesome i don't want to spoil that stuff for you guys yeah these still suits they seem like it's a it's a super interesting concept that like i don't like where else is that in in pop culture like a suit that recycles your waste and your sweat and your whatever like i can't think yeah. of anything else that has i'm sure there is um but i don't know yeah good point i i can't think of anything either and there's such like it's such a dune thing like even in all the movies like the still suit is you're always wondering what the still suit is going to look like if you're a dune fan you're like oh what are, what's their interpretation of the st- still suit in the david lynch movie they're like very they're like gothic leather armor in a way well the new ones yeah and the, and the new movies look they look like motocross suits the new one looks like chris nolan batman armor if you take off the cowl and the cape. Yeah. 
motorcycle uh, and put a Fox motocross. logo on it for the motocross flavor. Totally, totally. I mean, I felt I felt a little disappointed when I first saw them, the the still suits, but at the same time, they don't. It's not a it's not a make or break thing. Like I think that's just like the kind of the minimalist kind of realistic style that the new movie is going for. So I've accepted it. I, I was, like I said, I was originally a little disappointed, but the more I've hyped myself up for the movie and watch a trailer, I think I've gotten used to the look of it. I I was just something, I was ho- hoping for something a little on more bizarre. You know what I mean? On the note of the movie, um, of course it, it's been delayed. By yeah. like a year, right? Like it's coming 2021. out in 2021, Christmas. Do you know why? Is that for reshoots? Like that's a big delay. I think that's. I think it's because of COVID. I think that the states is too much. Like states is too hot. It, the states is their main market for this movie. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Think, it's it's too hot to handle. It's too hot to handle right now, and I don't think they can because like I think the barometer, the test movie, was going to be Tenet. And they released Tenet in theaters, and it practically bombed. Maybe not bombed, but did. What was Tenet? The Chris Nolan movie. Hmm, that one slipped yeah, past me. The, it was like a big release that they pushed out in the theaters, and because of COVID and the way that the world is, I don't think many people saw it. And I think that was their decision. Warner Brothers decided. Uh, what helped Warner Brothers' decision to push back Dune and the new Batman movie. Because they saw the hype for Dune and they saw the hype for the new Batman movie. And they were like, all right, we're going to push it back another year. And on top of that, I think um, the new Batman movie was like Robert Pattinson got COVID. So he had to delay reshoots. Uh, COVID happened. So they had to, and they had to delay reshoot. uh, They had to delay shooting because of uh, COVID. Like, that movie just got it got delayed like three or four times, so they just like pushed their whole calendar back, basically. Dang. Yeah, All it right. sucks. That was Movie Corner with Will and Steve. There you go. Um, there's a little comment here. I don't really want to get into it too much, but he through fear how it make makes a comment about the still suits, and he says like the Fremen smell to high heaven or whatever they just stink really bad because of their still suits and because of the recycling water that they're going through because it is pee and poop and sweat but it leaves a stink it leaves a stink behind yeah because you're like you're sitting in your you're wearing your own excrement you know what i mean yeah but why is it sitting there why don't you just run it through the cycle It, it just doesn't change the smell smells still really so it does make water for you but it is poopy water i think no i think it's purified but like purified distilled water smells like shit is what you're telling me (laughs) you're with me now you're following (laughs) well here's a here's a question for still suits farts what happens what do they do (laughs) right uh i i think they it soaks up the moisture and the gas and the gas, and then cycles it through the suit, and you're eating your own farts. It makes you diesel fuel. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I like that one. 
Um, there's a little part in this chapter as well that I, I, I found it actually really interesting. In the audiobook, they cut this section out entirely, but in the book, they leave it in. And it's referring to the conversation that Paul has had with Guy's Hell Mahayim and how he's how he feels kind of scared of the future and that Guy's Hell Mahayim frightened him about his purpose and what trying to think of the right words what is expected of him you know what i mean yeah his fucking destiny or whatever it is that he's yeah you know all these things he has to fulfill these prophecies yeah the specific conversation that i like the specific conversation that i want to mention that i actually think is very cool like it's it's actually a really cool uh line is that Guy's Hella Mahayim says to Paul that he will have to r- rule something that his family and pr- ancestors has never learned to do. And he makes a point of going like, but my father rules a planet. And then Guy's Hella Mahayim says, but he's losing it. Ruled a planet. Paul's, ruled, a, ruled a planet. And then Paul says, but he's getting a richer one. And Guy's Hella Mahayim says, and he's losing that one too. So it kind of speaks Dang. into, but that's his, is that future uh, sight. I think yeah, I was gonna say it speaks into that prescience that we were kind of mentioning in the last chapter. But this is part of that conversation that we never saw in the last chapter. So I found it like a weird narrative choice to take that conversation and not place it in the chapter beforehand because it would have happened in that last chapter. Instead, yeah. put it here. You know. But I think it's just to kind of set up the set up the relationship between Thufir and Paul, and that Thufir is almost a little worried about Paul and his destiny, and feels a little bit protective. Well, maybe Paul like him. isn't fully focused too, right? Ah, his yeah, mind's you know drifting what? That, a little bit, thinking so much about about uh, this guy, Helen Mahayim's conversation. Also. He also makes a good, he has like an, a, a little thought to himself, Thufir does, where when Paul starts defining his, define, defining ruling to a uh, guy's hell Mahayim, she corrects him and says like, that's not actually, like you've, you've got some unlearning to do is what she says. And Thufir thinks to himself, he's like, that is a valuable lesson because like his definition is not what a ruler is it's still a naive perception of what a ruler is yeah it doesn't fully get it yet yeah so it's it's setting up that relationship between thufir and paul and like just showing that everybody is their best interest is for paul and his progression but there's a lot of learning that he needs to do and thus his relationship with through fear, Gurney, his mom, his dad. Like, there are so many different um, mentors. It's for a long Paul. way to the top of Dune. Long way to the top. Um, and I think that pretty much wraps up everything that Howat and Paul were talking about. There's a little brief conversation where Paul said, I think, as, as Sufir is walking out the door, Paul says, oh, make sure you don't uh, sit anywhere with your back towards any doors. And there's a little like 
like movie like smile like haha i shall not my my and a wink my boy Bing. yeah wink <laughs> and he leaves and then co- in comes like like my favorite character introduction in this series is gurney halleck gurney. he basically just fucking kicks down the door and he's like burp 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 you got a lot of sass why does suit through fear let look sad yeah, so Let's fight. sassing him and telling him he's got sass and he's he's uh he's awesome he's like kramer <laughs> just from flying in just flying in no mercy and essentially yeah he just fucking hands he gets paul ready with some uh with some swords and they start like duking it out there's a couple little things in that introduction like uh gurney plays his balisette which is kind of like uh like a lute it's like his his little uh what is it a flute a lute like, a, like little a little lute. guitar um yeah that thing's awesome he's so he's like a bard type dude eh yeah yeah he's our own uh tom marigold is that his last name in yeah marigold? i believe yeah. it is Tom Marigold, he's our he's our bard for this adventure. I love and I love that the bard is like also a badass. I love the I love I love me a badass in fantasy bard. and and sci-fi that like that character trait kind of goes together. You got a guy that plays guitar. He's also got a bunch of knives with him going zip 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 zip. Doesn't always go that way though. Sometimes you get that guy in The Witcher, Dandelion. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. You know who Gurney kind of reminds me of in a small way, not a huge way, is uh, Bronn from Game of Thrones. He's got this like cell sword. Carefree, like, uh, like, is he is Gurney out for himself at the end of the day? No, I think he I think he is 100 percent for the Atreides. But I also believe that he at any moment will start singing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At any moment, he'll just bust into Bohemian Rhapsody. It's actually very annoying. And the worst part is, is that everyone knows all the words, and then every time everyone starts singing, and they have to do the full song. <laughs> yeah, you can't just stop. You can't just stop Bohemian Rhapsody. Do you think they would know these songs in the future? Absolutely. I think absolutely. If they're, if it's from, well, it's hard to say, right? But like. I, yeah like paul's got a dusty so. record of bohemian rhapsody just somewhere in his room and he smokes some he smokes some spice weed and just listens listens to you that you gotta think that news it of the would world be, they would be like digging up some old beethoven or something except it would be like ten thousand years old <laughs> so i don't know yeah uh yeah interesting i wonder what the, the you know i'm gonna do some research into the relationship between earth and the current universe of dune and where earth lies in that timeline and if people are still on earth because i don't even know if people are still on earth at this yeah point. i'm curious about that too yeah so back to it uh paul and gurney get into a training session uh just a little fighting training session and it's really cool because their t- their style of fighting is is Slip tip. using or something like that. <laughs> it's using shield technology. Shield technology is really, really cool and very, very specific in the Dune universe. So yeah, because they have every shield soldier, belts here, right? Yeah, they have shield belts, and it's just this like. So is a projector shield of, like from your belt, like out in front of you, 
Or is it like a full no, force field around your whole body? Full force field around your whole body. Nice. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's it's super cool. But it works in a very specific way. So when you're wearing a shield, anything that's fast moving coming towards your uh coming towards you, like either a really fast moving knife, a punch, anything like that, it's gonna be blocked. Uh, or even a bullet, right? It's all gonna be blocked blocked by I mean, especially a bullet by the right? shield. Especially a bullet. Um however, uh if you move slowly and move move slowly into the your opponent's shield and figure out ways to get the your knife in through that shield slowly then that's you how through. you're going to win a fight yeah so if it's so so if things are moving fast no dice but it's slow moving you can get in there can anything get slowly as long as it's moving slowly then yes i believe so seems like a major design flaw well it changes fighting like altogether like you want to be able to... Well, I guess it eliminates guns. Yeah, and it makes everything hand-to-hand combat. And that's a big thing in Dune. Everything is hand-to-hand combat. And uh, Yeah, well, all these weapons, too. There's a bunch of crazy different melee weapons here. Yeah, I've got Kinjals, uh, Rapiers. Kinjal. Um, uh, I don't know. There's a Bjork in there? I don't know. Yeah, Bjork's there. Oh. <laughs> She's just sitting in the corner. <laughs> um. But it's really cool. So, like, their form of fighting, like, is a mixture of, like, this sort of, like, faking your attack and then figuring out a way to get it all, get your real attack in while having the person sidestep. And I, I kind of kind of compare it to jujitsu in a way. Jiu-Jitsu is a, a big chess game if you get down to it it's yeah. all about making your opponent think that you're going to do something and then at the very last second you're doing something else and then you got and then you have him in that hook or that hold or whatever and then the difference here is that you cut his head off with a big crazy kinjow yeah you're nailing it steve you're getting with it yeah i got it i'm getting jiggy with it one thing that is really specific about shield technology that i think it's really important to mention i feel like it's going to be mentioned later in a chapter i might be spoiling it if you don't want spoilers, people skip ahead. Like, I mean, I don't want thirty spoilers. seconds. I want to tell you because it's really cool to me. Oh man! So there are laser guns in Dune. People can shoot laser guns. There's all kinds of laser guns. They're called laser laser guns in the Dune universe. Laser. However, you can't shoot it at a person wearing a shield because the the reaction between a laser and a shield will actually create a nuclear explosion. Oh shit! Yeah, like a full so on you, nu- like a full on nuclear blast. To my understanding, it's like a full on like Hiroshima. Oh, I don't want to say that. It's Oof. a full on nuclear blast, <laughs> <laughs> like mushroom cloud and everything. So if you want to like end the battle and kill everybody, that's your Seems like another big design do. flaw here. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's so there's uh, a lot of unstable people on the uh, desert planet of Dune. It's probably a very rough, depressing lifestyle, and I bet you there's a lot of people that eventually are just like, "I'm shooting this laser at your shield." Yeah, that's the thing, though. I, I I don't think that 
uh, laser guns are that readily available for people, like especially just common folk, you know? Yeah, I mean, makes it would make sense. They seem like, I mean, it's literally having a nuke, essentially, because everyone has shields, right? Yeah, everybody I think that is worth mentioning in this story has a shield. Like shield technology is a real is a real crutch for the aristocracy. Here's here's a question. Would you be able to take a shield belt, turn it on, not on a person, and then go far away and like snipe it with a laser? Yeah. Or you like could. or like Yeah. Do you think that would work? Yeah, I figure out how to nuke Dune. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that would work. I mean, like, if you're far away from the nuclear blast and you catch somebody with a shield on and you blast them with a with a laser, I think you'd be safe and you'd win. Um, But it would be a nuclear explosion. So if if they were guarding something, that's not what we're after. You're probably not going to be safe. No, (laughs) I just want to know if it's possible. Yeah, you can uh, snipe them. But I don't know if they, there's probably lit, like Lay's sniper gu- sniper rifles, right? I would think I've so. only seen like in concept art. I've only seen like pistols, um, but there's got to be like rifles. I would think you got one, you got them all. Stuff. Yeah, but I don't think it's very common in in the Dune universe to use Lay's guns. I think everything is much more hand to hand combat focused. I think there's almost like a level of respect to that as well. It's again, it's like a it's a super cool concept um guns get like they're boring um you know i don't want everyone just shooting each other it's not exciting Mm -hmm. i want uh hand-to-hand kinjao duels with ninja with jujitsu chess and that's what i'm here for i'm here for it and uh maybe (laughs) we can get a worm in there or something oh man this is the book for you uh so paul and gurney have a little quick sparring session Paul gets an upper hand and he gets a uh, he gets a blade to the throat of Gurney, but Gurney goes like, "Yeah, you may have uh, got the killing blow here, but look down." And Gurney's got a knife pointing right at Paul's dick, right on yeah. the dick, right. On, he cut, is right this where he calls dick. it a slip tip or something? He gave him the slip tip, something I don't like know. that. Something <laughs> like that. But uh, I, you know, I'd say he slipped you're really tip. like you're you're really hooked on that slip tip saying i and look man i'm not i'm not judging you it's a very bizarre word sounds like you are judging me directly but i'll i'll let this one pass I'll let it slide <laughs> um and then paul says like oh i'm sorry gurney i'm not i'm i'm doesn't seem like i'm getting into the mood for fighting and gurney says something that is both amazing and very very strange he says mood mood is a thing for cattle or playing the balisette or for making love Mood is not a thing for fighting. Oh, yeah. This is this whole mood thing. He doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have time for moods, but the, the those I'm, are odd examples. Cattle? I, I'm I'm with the last two, but yeah, the cattle thing is so... Maybe he was just like, he misheard him or just started thinking of like... He, he, he heard him he say... He had a bad mood. experience with a cow once. He really pissed <laughs> off a cow. So he, he thinks that all cows are moody, you know? <laughs> it's only natural yeah you know? he got you know they actually mentioned his uh incovine scar that gurney has across his chin and um it's cow shaped it's cow shaped and he got it in the he got it in the uh battle arenas as a as a like slave get gladiator on the harkonnen planet of Gidi prime it says that right in the chapter 
So they're right there. Yeah, so maybe... And you know what he's fighting? Cows. He was fighting cows, baby. Or maybe Picked Russell right Crowe. The... Probably, cra- <laughs> probably cows? Probably cows. <laughs> crows? <laughs> probably crows. Um, but another thing that kind of is mentioned here that would, I think, drives Gurney's purpose in life is that his sister was also murdered on the same planet, the Harkonnen planet of Gidi Prime, in the uh, pleasure houses. Like she who, was, who she was like a her? slave prostitute. The Harkonnens. Yeah. Okay. I knew it. So he. I knew it. I, even though I think his love for the Atreides is real, like I do think his his loyalty lies with the Atreides, but I think he hates the Harkonnens as much, if not more. Yeah. Uh, than the Atreides. Yeah, so that's do. his. That's probably his prime directive, and then mm-hmm. working with the Atreides, uh, they just it just goes hand in hand for him. Yeah. Exactly. So it's getting two birds stoned at the same time. Oh, you're nailing it. I think they might practice. I think they practice again with each other. They throw some more. Uh, yeah, they they start practicing again. Uh, but Gurney like brings the thunder in this next like sparring match with uh with Paul, and so much so that Paul's just like. Is he gonna kill me? Is he? <laughs> yeah, for a moment there, he, he does think that me? that he is gonna kill him. But I guess because well, like, Harkonnen, Gurney, like clearly wasn't given his all in that first round, or or let Paul get the upper hand. Yeah, and now then, he's uh, like, give me a little bit of a reality check here. Yeah, I I love that Paul thinks that Gurney. Whenever somebody is like mean to paul or like anti-social to paul or just like direct with paul he just goes harkening like like with the, yeah it's gotta be <laughs> like like uh with guys hell guess, behind him, he's a like, whole Are you family a whole house that just inherently hates you and your whole family then anytime someone's a dick you probably would assume that they're harkening since there's a whole bunch of people that just hate you i don't even know how to approach like a family feud like that you know i've never had i like obviously that doesn't happen nowadays but like a generational hatred like a hatfields and mccoys like your yeah, family's just i don't know does it, that sh- is that shit even real like is that even real or is it just in the stories because it's honestly it just seems like a lot of work you know and a lot of like everyone's ugh, you know oh i gotta go hate them and do this and like <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. I think it would just Nobody. after a couple of generations, it would just start to die off. Nobody cares anymore. Yeah, they'd be like, ah, who who really cares? It's just my crazy grandpa, and he hates that family down the way because they ate his corn or something. Took his spice. Yeah, they hate his corn, and he hates their corn, and they took the spice, but not the not this melange. It was like uh, cayenne. <laughs> it was a cayenne spice. You know, stole all his cayenne, and yeah, this is what I mean. I don't want it's anything to do with it. It's a hot mess. Um, they they spar for a little get, bit like, here. An anti-hero Harkonnen at one point, who is who is cool, who yeah. joins us. Yeah, 
I'm with you. That'd be really cool. Um, but I'm not going to tell you what happens. So after this, uh, Gurney and Gurney, after this little training session, I can't even remember how they wrap up the training, that little like sparring session. I think, uh, does it, the chapter end there? It it ends with, uh, Gurney telling Paul to go train with the practice dummy. Like you go do the, go play with the practice dummy. Yeah. Keep training. And I'm going to be throwing, I'm going to be throwing some new counters at you. Um, and see how you do. But while Paul is fighting the, uh, while Paul is fighting the the dummy, Gurney notices that Paul has extra training that he's never seen before. Like not just mm. from Duncan, but something new. So it could <laughs> be the Benny Dreseret training that Paul has had from his mother, or it could be some of his future sense coming coming back to him right now maybe some maybe something about the future he's seen and he's learned a couple of new things interesting well i'm going to assume that that is probably the case yeah i i don't honestly don't even know like it could be the benny jesuit mm-hmm. i think it a safe bet would say that it was the benny jesuit training but i think that would be more known um like i think gurney would know like oh that's the benny jesuit training you know what i mean yeah I feel like Gurney would be privy to that information unless they were like super secretive about all. Yeah, I agree. I think it's future powers. Yeah. Future powers. And that's where the chapter ends. So two amazing character introductions. My personal favorite being Gurney Halleck. Like that guy's a wrecking ball in hell. I'm all about Gurney. I think he's awesome. Are Gurney and Thuin, are they, what's his name? Thuin? Theron? Through fear, through fear, how at? Are they coming? They're coming into Dune. They're coming into Dune. This is actually the night before they leave, and through fear, how it says in this chapter that he has to. Le- he is leaving right at that moment to go make sure the preparations and the the castle is safe at Arakeen, and um, I think Gurney is going to be traveling with them the next day to Dune, singing songs. Singing songs, playing the ball set. Nice. Well, that's today's episode, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and bearing with us here and getting doony because we've got... Getting so doony. Oh, we are getting so doony. You know what? I kind of... Um, I, I appreciate the fact that we, uh, we fucked up a couple of those episodes and now we're redoing some of these, like this one, because uh, I feel like it, it helped me get my thoughts more together earlier in the show. Because first time going through this, I felt a little scattered. I'm going to be honest. It's definitely helping me understand Dune a little bit more. It's really hammering it and really hammering the worms oh, yeah. into my into my brain. You know. All right, what do we got here? Um, follow us on Twitter. Go check it out at Chapter by Chapter. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode, Chapter Five of Dune.